our text this morning is chapter 20, but before we get there, I'm going to give you a little recap. Um, we had, uh, the children of Israel had come to the edge of the promised land in the second year of the Exodus. Um, they stayed at Mount Sinai about a year, and now they're at the promised land, but they refused to go in, if you remember, and so God consigned them to stay in the desert until that generation that came out of Egypt between 20 and 60 years old were passed away, and uh, only Caleb and Joshua out of that generation would be able to enter in the promised land because of their unbelief. We talked about why it's so significant about unbelief. And then last week we had the rebellion of Miriam and Aaron against Moses' leadership. No, that's two weeks ago. And then last week we dealt with the rebellion of the Korah uh, against Moses' leadership. And uh, we saw the outcome of that. And chapter 17, which... I, I put in the notes for you, but we're not going to deal with this morning. Um, I'm just going to tell you the story. You may be familiar with it. But chapter 17, the Lord gives an object lesson to the children of Israel about his choice of leadership. So he tells Moses, Moses, Moses is giving God's instruction, tell the leaders of the tribes to bring their rod. And their rod would be various lengths, um, a shepherd would have a rod and a staff. A rod would be for protection. The staff would be to govern the sheep with and to help them. Uh, and so to bring their rod before the Lord. So now there's 12 rods, and maybe Aaron's rod would be 13. And so Aaron's rod is there. This is the rod of God, Aaron's rod. Uh, and so they, they bring them before the Lord. And rods are just a dead piece of wood. And so the next morning... Um, when they go into the holy, when they go into the tabernacle, Aaron's rod had put on buds, leaves, and almonds. It had overnight; it had become a complete living thing. And uh, so God gave them this object lesson that Aaron is the one that I chose to be the high priest. I chose his line to be the priestly line. And that should settle it for the nation of Israel. And actually, it did settle it for the nation of Israel. And sometimes God gives us object lessons that teach us to to trust in his word. So now we come to chapter 20, and we have two deaths. We have Miriam at the first, and we have Aaron at the end. Uh, But a lot of things happen in between. Between chapter 17 and when we get to chapter 20, 30 something years have passed, and now they're on the now they're on the verge within a year or so of actually entering into the promised land. So it's really interesting. Um, all this time passed. You think, how, how can that be? How can it just be skipped over? Well, um, it's just because they were they were killing time. Basically, they were, you know God had given them. Instruction, it, it, there were like 50 chapters about the tabernacle and the, the, the offerings and the sacrifices and all those things, very detailed. They knew how to live. They knew how to trust God. They knew uh, the direction they were to take, and they, they weren't obedient. So now they spend these years just waiting. They're just waiting. And so 
probably, I'm saying probably because no one knows for sure, they dispersed to some degree of the wilderness. They didn't stay camped together because it's almost impossible to provide for them uh, water and firewood and imagine that if they all stayed together. So probably they dispersed to some degree in the wilderness, but now they've come back together. So now they're back together preparing to enter into uh, the promised land. And uh, so most of the generation had passed. Now we read in verse 1. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So the death of Miriam. Uh, Miriam was a significant person. We, we studied her rebellion, uh, and Aaron was complicit in that. But uh, there's much more to her than that. If you remember, uh, she was the prophetess. She, she led Israel in singing the Psalms. And so uh, she, she was instrumental, you remember, in hiding Moses in the river. She had the faith. Her parents had faith. She had faith uh, that God would do something. And she's the one that approached Pharaoh's daughter when Pharaoh's daughter found Moses. And so she was a significant person. Uh, you read, you read it, as, you, as you read through the Psalms and you read through the history of Israel, you get a little more information. Um, when you read in Micah, the prophet, uh, he's speaking for the Lord, and this is what he says, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and from the land of bondage, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, Aaron and Miriam. So she was a significant person when she came to the end of her life and, and, and in the life of Israel. Sometimes she's only remembered for her, for her lapse of faith and her rebellion, but uh, hopefully that's not all we're remembered for is our lapses of faith. Uh, God help us. Uh, that wouldn't be. And now we come to a very significant thing about the sin of Moses. Verse 2, down through verse 6. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord, why have you brought us up why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? We've heard this refrain over and over. We heard it from these people's parents, uh, the, the the generation that has now died. Now the kids are saying the same thing. They're they're repeating uh, the same thing against Moses. So, verse 5, uh, Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or plum granites, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went, be- went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. You know, when they come together, it'd be very hard to provide for this big assembly. Uh, I read a book one time about <clears throat> what it would take and how many train loads of firewood it would take, how many uh, tankers of water it would take, and how, just the, you know, you think of all the practical things. What about the refuge and the garbage and all that? I mean, just imagine what it would take to provide for these people and, Moses has the responsibility. No one seems to have any initiative except for Moses. And so Moses has the responsibility. He goes before the Lord uh, again. 
um, <clears throat> and he, he cries out. So God responds, verse 7, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod. I think that's, uh, the rod is the symbol of God's authority. Uh, I don't know if it's Aaron's rod, Moses' rod, it's just a, it's just a rod of testimony. Uh, so it's probably the same one that has the buds and the almonds and the leaves on it. So take the rod, you and your conger- you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. <clears throat> if you remember, you go <clears throat> over into 1 Corinthians, and you find we read there that that rock that followed them was Christ. Okay? Keep that in mind. That rock that followed them was Christ. Now remember, we started, and I remind you from time to time, that in 1 Corinthians 10, it tells us that we're to learn from their mistakes. We're to learn from their examples. And uh, we upon whom the end of the age has come. So we're, we're to learn from their examples, good and bad, and, and not repeat the same mistakes and that rod that fall I mean that rock that followed them was Christ. Now I say a rock is Christ. The rock that followed them is Christ. I don't quite understand. If we go if we're all the way back into Genesis and when they when they came in Exodus, I mean in chapter 17, when they came out, uh, Moses smote the rock. You remember and water came out. Uh, I, we forget details, you know, but back then Moses God told Moses to smite the rock, water comes out. Okay, Christ is smitten. I've mentioned Hebrews to you several times. When, when we read in the book of Hebrews concerning Moses, I mean, concerning Aaron's priesthood, uh, Aaron's line is the priest until Christ comes. And Christ is the priest. He's the, he's the ultimate high priest, and he's the only sacrifice that's needed. And the ironic priesthood ends when Christ dies. The veil is torn in the temple. There's no more need to enter into the holy place. Uh, Jesus is with us. Uh, so the presence of God is with us. And so all, all of this is combined. When you read the book of Hebrews from about chapter 4, chapter 10, you see that uh, the priesthood was just preparing for Jesus to come. And now Jesus is the high priest. Okay, what happens, we're going to read here, is that they're doing the same thing. They're, they're in the same place they were 30-some-odd years prior when Moses smote the rock. And now God says to him in verse 8, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. The rock, Christ, is only smitten once. He died once for all. His, his blood was shed once for all. It, it's the ultimate sacrifice, the only sacrifice that's ever needed after that. So uh, there, there's no more sacrifice. There's, no more, uh, there's nothing else that can be done. And, and the Jewish sacrifices that continued after Christ died were meaningless. They're meaningless today. And so nothing, nothing is significant and, and, and sacrifice after Christ's death. So there's no need to smite the rock, but just simply to speak to the rock. 
Christ has been slain for us, we pray. We pray for faith. We don't have to do any kind of sacrificial things. We don't have to flagellate ourselves. We don't, we don't have to punish ourselves. We don't have to do any of those things. We just simply pray and we speak to Christ. And he's our mediator and he's our intercessor. And, and we pray by faith to him. That's why when we read the, what happens next, and I think you already know what happens next, it makes it why it's so appropriate, even though if we didn't understand that the rock is representative of Christ, that it would seem too harsh for us. There's a lot of things we've talked about that in the weeks past that seems awful harsh to us until we understand the significance of them and the glory of God, the significance of the glory of God in, in balance with this. So think about that as we read. Take the rock, uh, take the rod, the authority of God, speak to the rock, and it'll yield its water for the congregation. <clears throat> Verse 9. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, now Moses said to the congregation, not to God now, but to the congregation, hear you, hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with the rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Um. So God's instruction is very simple. Take the rod, the people see the authority of God, and you speak in God's name under the authority of God with the rod in your hand to the rock and it will break forth water. And Moses, the meekest man on the earth, Moses has had it. And Moses acts like we do sometimes. Moses' temper was up and he spoke rashly with his mouth. When I said that, rashly with his mouth, that's what Psalm 106 says, that Moses spoke rashly with his mouth. Uh, he didn't honor God. So uh, several things I want to point out here in Moses' behavior that are sinful. And I, 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 I think about it, I think about how I, I, can, I can justify Moses in my mind, but here's, here's his sin. Number one, he spoke harshly to the people. First time we find that. Most of the time, when they're in rebellion, God's saying to Moses, get out of the way, I'm going to kill them. And Moses said, Lord, kill me, don't kill them. They're your people. Uh, you know, they're, uh, he had compassion for them. But now he, now he speaks rashly to them and, and calls them rebels and condemning them. And so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that he claimed credit. Must we bring water out of this rock? Uh, must we bring this water out of the rock? And uh, I don't know if he was saying we, me, and Aaron, or he's saying we, me, and God. But he's saying, I am going to bring water out of this rock. I'm going, I have the authority, I have the power, I'm going to do it. And that is just not true. Uh, and we find that that is unbelief. That is taking the glory of God. Uh, that is uh, attempting to take God's glory to yourself. And we often do that as well. We, we, from time to time, you think about this about yourself. I thought about it myself. 
when we're talking to someone casually and they tell us about something that's happened to them or they're doing, and, and we want to tell them, well, let me tell you what I've done. Let me tell you where I've been. Let me tell you who I am. Are you with me there? Can you identify? And when we're doing that, we're, you know, instead of saying, I appreciate you, appreciate your experience, I appreciate you, we can't help but wait for them to quit talking so we can tell them about ourselves. <laughs> it's our nature, it's our fallen nature, is that we want glory, we want to be acknowledged, we want to be recognized, we want to be acclaimed, whatever else, you got. We, we want to be exalted, uh, we want to be praised, and I'm, I'm guilty of that, you may be as well. So, identify with Moses. We come to the New Testament, and then gives us an admonition that says, be you angry and sin not. I mean, anger is understandable, but don't sin. Don't respond, don't, don't act. And now here's something interesting. In spite of that, God in his mercy gave water to the people. God could have refused. He said, Moses, you didn't obey me. You, you, didn't, you didn't respond right. You responded in unbelief. But I'm giving, I'm, I'm, so I'm not giving water to the people. Then what are you going to do? But God did that. And you know what it teaches us? It teaches us that God's servants are imperfect, but he uses them. And, and he uses them. Uh, it's really, really interesting. Um, we, people talk to me, and I, I think, I, people ask me if I have any heroes in the faith or uh, who's my favorite author or things like that. And you think about Okay, all of us know people of faith who have influenced us, and we're very grateful. But to be honest, there are people who had clay feet. They were people with, we could call them idiosyncrasies, or we could call them sins, but they were people who were human, and, and, but God used them. And God uses me, hopefully, and God uses you, hopefully, and we're imperfect people, but it is... The grace of God to show His glory through imperfect people. He, he chose us to do that. But He works through us to accomplish His purpose for the good pleasure of His will. And, and I'm grateful for that. If not, uh, we all of us would be in big trouble. And so I'm, I'm grateful that God is very merciful. I, I, I don't know how to express this to you, and I, I say it to you, I think, uh, often. We have a tendency to measure God by what we're experiencing. And uh, I wish it weren't so in my life. I, you know, I, I want to measure God by what has been revealed of himself and his love for me in Christ. That's how I want to measure God. And I want to measure all my experiences by this bedrock truth. But somehow, I don't do that. You wake up in the middle of the night, and you're having this... Uh, dream and you're having these thoughts about what's happening in life, what's happening or what's happening to your kids or your grandkids and you and, and you know you're thinking, you're either a little aggravated or you're a little frightened or you're a little apprehensive and, 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 and we're measuring God by our experiences instead of by this faith that we have that Christ came. God gave his son that I can be forgiven and be adopted into the family and have, a, have an eternal home in heaven, and have forgiveness of my sin, and I'm out from under the wrath of God. I am out from under the wrath of God. Why can't I remember that? Do you have trouble with that? And we, we just 
our circumstances beat us up. And, and, and if we're, faith shouldn't allow that to happen. Or the moment we think that, we should respond, we should preach to ourselves and say, but that's, that's just life, and that's just what I'm enduring today. But Christ is my hope, and Christ is my rock. He's my anchor. He's the one who gives me living water. I've been saved over 50 years, and I'm thinking, when will I ever grow up? So. And then we read about the judgment of God. And now when we understand the issue, it doesn't seem to make it so harsh. In verse 12, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the sight of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Wow. Moses is about 120. Aaron's a little older than that. Uh, they have given their lives to the service of the Lord. They have spent the last 40 years waiting to go into the promised land, hoping and, and, and anticipating it. And God has said, because of your sin, you're not going to go into the promised land. All this that you work for, all this that you've endured leading these people, you're not going to go in because of your sin. Now look again at the verse, in verse 12. Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Moses was a great man of faith, but he, at this point, he didn't, he didn't believe God. He didn't. He, he had a he had a lapse of faith. He didn't. He didn't. Hallow me means to glorify. He didn't glorify God in the eyes of the people. Who did he glorify? He and Aaron. We will bring forth water out of this rock. I, I'm always amazed about. I have conversation with people who uh, I, I've told you before. There there are three stances about the sign gifts today. There is that. This, on this extreme, that the sign gifts are totally operable and that you ought to be able to do anything that Christ does. You ought to be able to heal people, raise people from the dead, give sight to the blind, uh, feed the poor. You should, you should be able to do all those things that Christ does. On the opposite extreme is that where I am, <laughs> all the sign gifts ceased uh, after the apostolic age. After the apostles died, they, they were given those gifts to, to authenticate the fact that they spoke for God. And when they died, the gifts, those gifts died. Now, not the gifts of the Spirit that work within us, not that. And then there's the middle people who believe, well, some people have them, some people don't. Some people have some of the gifts, some people, and I'm talking about the sign gifts, healing, raise people from the dead, speaking tongues. All some people have those in the middle. And, you know, but some people do, some people don't. But... <clears throat> So what happens from time to time, I talk with people, and I don't have this in the notes, I'm just rambling this morning, but I talk with people, and, and they just say, uh, you know, I, I had a man tell me this past week or so, he just said, you know, I, I have a God who is, I can. And I said, what's that mean? He said, it means that, you know, he, he, can, he can do anything, he can help people, he, you know, he raised people from the dead, he does he does all the things that Christ did. I have a God of I can. You have a God of you can't. He can't. 
<laughs> no, I have a God of the Bible. You have a God of your imagination. And, uh, because you can't do that. But see, what he's saying, I have a God who's saying that people can if they have enough faith. And that's hallowing yourself instead of hallowing God. Now, there, it sounds like you're hallowing God. It sounds like you're hallowing God. But in the end, it's not. And then the, and then the bottom end, they can't do it. It just drives me nuts. I, I'll just let you know. Makes me want to strike somebody with a rod. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking. <laughs> and you know why I know they can't do it? Because we who live long enough and we who have been in the faith long enough, we see that God's mercy is shown through trial more than it's shown through blessing. And see, that's not consistent with what they believe. But God's mercy is shown to us through the trials that we face, the heartache that we go through, and He comforts us, He encourages us, He, he, he blesses us in our spirit, much more than he does through the blessings that he gives to us. The blessings make us proud. The blessings make us self-sufficient. They make us where we think we don't really need God. And we don't think that out. We don't think that through, but we behave that way. And the, the, tr- the trials humble us. <clears throat> In uh, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, the, and the catechism, we don't, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, let me don't go sideways, but the very first question, it's questions and answers you're not familiar with, so it's questions and answers. We do that in Awana, okay? We do questions and answers, and so the kids learn Scripture as answer to questions, and so the catechism, the very first question, what is the chief end of man? So what is your chief end? What is my chief end? And the answer is, is this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, to glorify God. That's our business. Our business is to glorify God. Moses didn't do it. Aaron didn't do it at this point in time. And God said, that is punishable by you not entering into the promised land. He did not fully trust God because you did not believe in me. F.B. Meyer preaches to us and said, Let us watch and pray, lest there be in any of us an evil heart of unbelief, lest we depart in our most secret thought from simple faith in the living God, lest beneath the fair exterior we yield our jewel of faith to the solicitation of some unholy passion. Why is it important? The rock that followed them was Christ, and they were smiting Christ when it had already been smitten. Grace had already been given, and there was no need to do this. It was unbelief. So, it's important how we represent God. It's important uh, for our well-being spiritually that we glorify God, that we give credit to God, that we acknowledge His rightful place in our lives, that we, we publicly, with our mouth, not just our, but with our spirit and our attitude as well, with our, with our 
with our means, our money, our our time, that we say, God, you're first in my life. And 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 we consciously do that uh, all regularly all, all the time. So now we come to um, we we come to the the, the entering in, the, the practical entering in. Uh, and we read that beginning in the next paragraph, verse 14. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh. Okay, well, go back to verse 13. We didn't read that. This was the water of Meribeth because the children of Israel contended with the, with the Lord and he was hallowed among them. Now, verse 14, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom Thus says your brother Israel. Now, Edom came from Esau. Israel came from Jacob. They were related. Thus says your brother Esau, you know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt. We dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up up out of Egypt. Now, here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border, Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. and We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. And so it's a reasonable request. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water that I will pay for it, let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Then Edom said, you shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Now that's very interesting. Esau always represents the flesh. And, and Israel represents the spirit. And I deal with the flesh of the spirit. We've been talking about that. I, I deal with the flesh. I live in the flesh. Uh, this flesh is unregenerate. Um, I, I have the spirit of God within me. And I can either be led by the flesh or led by the spirit. And so Edom represents the flesh. Edom doesn't want anything to do with the spirit. And so... They're saying, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. You go into Samuel, you get to the life of David, and one of the things that God tells David is to take retribution on Edom. And uh, you go, I preached a couple weeks ago, if you were here, you go into Romans 9, it says God uh, loves Jacob but hates Esau. And he, he, he hate, God hates the, what the flesh does, he loves what the spirit does. And so there's this long history, and, and the illustration to us in the Old Testament, New Testament, we, we dwell in the flesh, and we battle, the Spirit battles with the flesh, and we are to put the flesh to death. Now, that doesn't mean literally, it doesn't mean we, we kill ourselves, but what it means is that we kill the natural inclination of pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency and uh, glorifying ourselves and all the things we've been talking about, we kill that within us, and we glorify God. We we honor Him with with all of our lives. So, <clears throat> Edom 
And then you go to Obadiah, and you find that what happens is that when Israel's taken into captivity, that Obadiah, and Obadiah said they turned some, Edom turned some of the people in, they, they plundered their goods, and so they're held accountable for that as well, that they, they are against the things of God, against the Spirit of God. So there's no passion, no passage would go through. And then we come in the next paragraph uh, to the death of Aaron, verse 22. Now the children of Israel... Now the children of Israel, the, the whole congregation journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people. I mentioned that to you earlier. I love that statement. Be gathered to his people. Uh, his people, think about his mom and dad. And they were people of faith. They wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't destroy Moses. Aaron's life probably was in danger as well, but they were people of faith, and, and it's transferred down to the children, and they, they have lived it out. Some lapses, I mean, they, they were sinful, but they were, in the bottom line, they were people of faith, and he's going to be gathered unto his people. What that means, that, that, that's so significant. There is an afterlife. Um, uh, when this body dies, I'm still alive. When this body dies... Uh, Jerry hadn't ceased to exist, and neither will you. Uh, and then one day, when we understand Scripture properly, one day uh, this body will, will may deteriorate in the grave, but when Christ comes and he says, come up here, this body is going to be made new. I'm going to have a body like in his body. It'll be the same, it'll be the same height. It won't have this little extra, but uh, it will be, or at least I hope not, and... Uh, you should have seen my wife and I trying to tie that top button at a funeral yesterday. I wear a tie. It's the only time I wear one anymore. And I was holding my breath and stretching my neck and she's trying to, and the bottom line of that is I need to buy bigger shirts. <clears throat> they just keep shrinking. I don't know what's happening. They just keep shrinking. That's not in the notes either. <laughs> but we're people, we are we're, we're people of faith. So where are we? I don't even know. Okay, we're in, chapter, we're in the last paragraph of chapter 20. Gathered into his people. And what I was going to talk about is that, um, you know, you go to Hebrews 11. We, there's this whole line of the heroes of the faith. But then there's all those people who suffered. All those people who suffered weren't exalted and they're not listed as heroes of the faith. And if you examine each of the heroes of the faith, there were people who had feet of clay. But we're part of that. We're, we're part of that. I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And you, you, you know that. Most of you know my story. But I, you don't talk about it very much. But just use it as illustration. But you're my family. This is the family that I've known. This is, you're the people who are closest to me the people in this church, uh, the people who taught me when I became a Christian, and the people who supported me as I've been in ministry, and the, and the people who have prayed for me as, and our family as we've gone through trial. You're our family. You're closer than my blood relatives. You're our family. And so one day, we're going to be gathered together without any pain or heartache, and 
without any bodily trials. We're going to be gathered together for eternity. And that's our hope. And uh, I'm looking forward to that day. So, the death of Aaron takes place. Um, Here's the instruction, verse 25. Take Aaron and Eliezer, his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor. And strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son. For Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. Now think about it. Aaron has on now all, all, one writer called it the costume, but he has on all the vestment of his, of his position. Okay, so he has all, all, and he goes up on the mountain. And you think, okay, is God doing that as a punishment? No, he's doing that in honor of him. That he, he doesn't die in front of the people, but he's going to, uh, he's going to go up, and Eliezer, his son, goes up, and they, they take the garments, put them on Eliezer, and so the authority of the office is transferred to Aaron's son, okay? So it's, the authority is not in Aaron, and the authority is not in Eliezer. The authority is God's authority, okay? And it's still true today, is that, you know, there may be, we may have a pastor of the church, but it's God's authority. And we have a deacon board, but it's God's authority. And so uh, when, when we learn that, and, and when you go to work and if you have a boss, it's God's authority there. Uh, our governmental officials are God's authority. And, and we recognize, I don't have to fear them or what, because I fear God. And, and God's doing what's best for me and what's best for society. And, and we may not understand it or we might clearly get it. And we wish God would hurry or we wish God would uh, take his vengeance at this point in time. But it is God's authority. So Aaron's going to die there. He's going to die outside the public eye, be buried there so he doesn't become a shrine. And, and that's going to happen to Moses as well so he doesn't become... A shrine. Now, a couple of things I just want to say to you. There's significant things in this passage. Um, verse 27, Moses did exactly as the Lord commanded. They went up to Mount Hor, the side of the congregation. They watched them go up. Moses stripped Aaron of his garments, put them on Eliezer's son. Aaron died there at the top of the mountain, and Moses came down. Now, when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, and all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron for 30 days. Aaron is not going to the promised land. These are the significant things we learn because of his complicity and and Moses striking the rock. Number one, I mean, in addition to that, sin will not keep a Christian out of heaven, but it does have consequences in our daily lives. Number two, he'll be gathered unto his people. There is an afterlife. We already talked about that. We have the same hope, take comfort. Number three, there is a transfer of power and authority. The privilege of position and service is from God. It's not owned by man. And the priesthood lay within God's authority, not in man's authority. We've already seen that illustrated uh, already in an object lesson. And then, number four, Jesus is our high priest. There will never be another. That's Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. And then I'm going to end with this. There, one, one writer wrote this. He said, uh, Moses represented the law, Miriam represented the prophets, and Aaron represented the priesthood. 
But none of those could lead the people of God into the promised land. The law won't save you. The prophets can't save you. Knowledge can't save you. Um, uh, and what did Aaron represent? The, the priest. Okay, let me do it. Moses, the law can't save you. The prophets can't save you, no, no, which is knowledge. Aaron, the priesthood. No one can die in your place. No one can offer a sacrifice other than Christ. And so this writer said it was Joshua who could lead them into the promised land. And Joshua is the same name as Jesus. So it's Jesus who leads us into the promised land. It's, it's not what we know. It's not who we know. It's not we've been baptized in a certain place. It's not whether we take holy water. It's not any, any of those things. It is simply the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank God he offers that to us freely. I just love the Old Testament, don't you? I just love the Old Testament. It, it is so powerful. Pray with me. We'll go to church. Our Father, we thank you. Most of all, for Christ, we thank you, Lord, that in spite of our, our weak faith, that you sustained us by your Holy Spirit. That's Christ in us, the hope of glory. How blessed we are, how little we realize it. Forgive us for our lack of faith. Lord, let us learn from Moses and Aaron and Miriam that we're to hallow you every day, all day, all our lives. We're to hallow you. And Lord, we want to, so please help us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, God bless you. See you in church.